We find ourselves in part two of our new series, Big Ideas, Faithful Steps. Uh, And the aim over this uh, next season for September and October is to kind of tackle a really big idea uh, that we might find in the Bible, understand what the, the scriptures have to teach about it, respond to that idea in a kind of series of, uh, of kind of steps that have got maybe increasing levels of hardness, the start, the step, and the stretch. Uh, and we'll get to that at the end of the message. Um, so over this, uh, month, uh, you know, over this month and into October, we're going to try and look at some really big things. Um, abundance is coming uh, quite soon at the end of the month. I think we've got justice and we've got a guest speaker in for justice next weekend. Uh, we're looking at creativity and trust, uh, righteousness. Uh, these are big things. Uh, but I wanted to do, what I wanted to do with the series is to then kind of take those big ideas and offer some really practical things that we can do to respond to those ideas. Because big ideas are inspirational, but they also need to kind of have practical ways in which we can uh, respond. And today we're looking at a subject um, which is called, the subject is freedom. We're looking at freedom today. Uh, and I want to take you uh, back in time to uh, open my message uh, to a true story from uh, the state of Virginia in the U.S. Uh, in 1849. Now, Virginia had uh, slavery laws in place. Now, that wasn't the case for all of the states uh, in America at that time, but Virginia had them. Uh, And I want to tell you the story uh, about a Christian black slave uh, called Henry Brown. Uh, Now, Henry Brown was married to a lady called Nancy, and they had three children, and she was expecting another one on the way. Now, Henry was in this kind of uh, connection with his owner, where he was paying his owner back some of the money that his owner paid him in order that his owner wouldn't sell his wife and children. You know, imagine that, having been in slavery and then pay your owner not to sell your family. I mean, it's unthinkable, isn't it? That's just a crazy, crazy concept. But one day, Henry's owner uh, betrayed him. Uh, Henry's owner sold his wife, sold his three children, uh, and she went off to a new owner in uh, North Carolina. Uh, And Henry was left all alone. He had no relatives left in the world, and he was still working for this owner. And of course, having betrayed him, his feelings towards his owner uh, were very, very mixed, as you might imagine. Now, there was no recourse within law in the slavery laws of that time for uh, Henry to kind of pick that up with the courts or the legal system or to challenge that because he had no rights as a slave. And so he had no kind of Nothing, nothing kind of to to look forward to in life. Uh, And one day he was kind of thinking about what on earth do I do with this really awful situation that I find myself in. And he, he, he was kind of praying it through and thinking about it. And he'd heard about a state in America where the slavery laws were not in operation. In effect, if you could get to that state, you could become free. You could become a free man. And so he's in the state of uh, Virginia, Uh, he's in the town of Richmond, and he hears about the state to the north, quite a few hundred miles to the north, which is the state of Pennsylvania, Um, and he makes a decision, do you know what, I'm going to try and escape from Virginia, and I'm going to see if I can get to Pennsylvania. Uh, And so he hatches this crazy plan, and this is what this box is here. Um, Ian, our ops manager, has made this box as a prop for us today, Uh, and my son Simon's put the the wording that appeared on the box. We've actually made the box to the exact dimensions that Henry had it made for himself, because his plan was that he was going to post himself as dry goods to freedom. He literally decided, you know what, I'm going to get into a crate, 
and I'm going to get some friends to nail the lid down on the crate and I'm going to kind of lie in here and I'm going to get posted by an express postage firm using the railway to uh, the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. And that was the, the decision he took. So I think it was March the 29th, 1849. Uh, he had to do something in order to get out of work that day. And so he poured some sulfuric acid on the back of his hand to get to the bone. Because that was the only way that his owner would exempt him from work for the day. And so with, his pa- with the pain of his hand stinging... He then uh, went with two friends, uh, a free black man, which was very rare in the state of Virginia, and a white friend that he had, and they went to the railway yard in Richmond, and they went to this company called Adams Express. Um, And Adams Express was renowned for discreetness in the way that they sent things. And so they used this company because there would be no questions asked once the lid was, was nailed down. Uh, And so Henry climbs into the box, and he's got these air holes, which uh, Ian's reproduced for me, and he he basically had a supply of biscuits and a supply of water, and he committed himself to the Lord. He was a Christian, and he prayed about it, and he said, Lord, would you you take me to freedom? And so they they bashed the lid down. His friends carried the crate to the Adams Express point in in the railway yard, and they bunged him on the train. And there were a couple of points along the journey where it didn't stay upright, and he got thrown around a bit, and he just kept really still. 27 hours later, he arrives in the city of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania, and he's taken, this has all been planned, and he's got a friend, an, a Quaker friend, who's an abolitionist. That means that this was, a, this was a person who was totally against slavery, and in Pennsylvania, slavery had, had stopped. And he arrives at the house and in the courtyard of this guy, uh, it's a guy called uh, Passmore Williamson. It's kind of crazy, old-fashioned, you know, American name. Uh, and this Quaker guy and a couple of friends get round and they prize the lid off the box. Um, and uh, the first thing that Henry Brown says is, good morning, gentlemen. <laughs> and then he stands up, gets out of the box, and he sings Psalm 40. He's prepared and practiced and he's ready and he sings it out loud and he has achieved his freedom. He has posted himself in a packing crate to freedom. What an incredible story that is. When I read that in a book called Black and British by David Olusega, I read that about a year ago and I thought that is going into a message one day That's, and I've parked it and it's today that that message and that story comes out. It's a superb, superb illustration of what it means to achieve freedom. Now, he was in Pennsylvania, but what happened in the States at that time was that if people attempted to get their freedom and cross over the state border lines into another state, sometimes people would come after them and try and get them back and put them back in slavery again. And he was pretty fearful that this might happen again. So he, he and his crate boarded a ship for uh, England, and they arrived in England in 1850. Um, and he toured around Britain talking against slavery. Uh, and he, he kind of developed a whole act, and he'd do conjuring and disappearing and all these kinds of things. But his main message was, slavery is not a good thing. And at one point in his life, he even, as part of, the, part of what he did was to prove that he'd done this, he used his original crate again, and he posted himself from Leeds to Bradford uh, on the train to prove that it could be done, because there were some people saying, well, we don't believe this, and he did it again to show that they were wrong. Um, so he was a very kind of compelling guy. He, he's written an autobiography. You can look him up on Wikipedia. You can find out about him. He became known as Henry Box Brown, um, unsurprisingly, because that was his passage to freedom. 
Uh, just an incredible story. Um, he never got reunited with his wife, Nancy, really sadly. That never, never came about. Um, he met a, a, a white British girl down in Cornwall. She was the daughter of a, a tin miner, I think, down in Cornwall. And he, he married her in, in uh, uh, 1855, and they went on to have children. So he settled in the UK. That is an incredible story about a bid for freedom. And it's got some ingredients in it that I think are very helpful for us to understand in the nature of freedom. Freedom is something that often becomes more pressing the more oppression there is. When there is more restriction on freedom, freedom becomes a lot more desirable, doesn't it? You know, I'd put it to us today that we're not all yearning for huge amounts of political freedom. Maybe you are, I don't know. Maybe you're absolutely sick and tired of the present political climate in this country. I'm not going to speak over you. Perhaps you are. But we've all got the freedom to kind of come into church and sit on a chair and worship God, haven't we? Praise God. That's an, an incredible thing, isn't it? So we're not yearning for that right now because we'll have it. But when it's taken away, it suddenly becomes a whole lot more precious, And so restrictions are things that sometimes emphasize the need for freedom. Something else I noticed about his story was that there was a sacrifice involved in order to buy his passage to freedom. Not just a sacrifice of being cooped up in a box like this for 27 hours, which is just, I guess, just over a day long, isn't it? Uh, But the, the willingness to allow himself to be wounded in order to get a day off work in order to then be posted. That's pretty self-sacrificial to do that, isn't it? And I'm guessing he was in the box and struggling, struggling with the pain of that. Um, I think another thing about freedom that I noticed from his story is that it had some friends in it. We all need friends, don't we, to help lead us to freedom. And one of the great things about the community of church is that our friends go, hey, I don't think he's really good for you, you know. Or, hey, I don't think she's kind of quite what she says she is. Or, hey, that job, you know that company? They're about to go into receivership. You might want to get a new job. Our friends lead us to freedom. They often help us in our journey of freedom uh, because they look out for us. They have our back. They want us to do well. Pastor Williamson, the Quaker, he was very pleased to receive Henry Box Brown that day. He had friends. They helped him out. I open with that story today because I think the illustrations it brings around the nature of freedom are just so helpful and so profound. And if you ever want to think about the nature of freedom, just remember... Henry Box Brown, he achieved it. There was some cost, but he got there in the end. And it's a very moving and poignant story. If we think about the nature of freedom in the Bible, I would suggest that freedom is one of its biggest themes. What we heard uh, Elizabeth read for us was an account from uh, the early chapters of Genesis. In that journey between the freedom that God came and brought for Adam and Eve, and then their their disobedience that leads to it then being eroded. That's a kind of key transition point, Genesis 2, Genesis 3, that as they disobey, they then find the freedoms curtailed through their own disobedience. And in fact, we call that, you know, theologians would call that the fall. Uh, And so, you know, a fall is, as the word describes, it's like you were in this high place, a good high place, not the high places that are talked about in negative terms in the Old Testament that represent wrong places of worship. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a high place being close to God. And then the, the disobedience, that, that, that high place is something that people need to maintain uh, through the choices they make. And we're going to get into that in just a bit. But Adam and Eve don't make those choices. And so there's a fall to a place of, of less freedom because they're disconnected from God. And that's a big story. That's you know, a, what, what 
you know, the theologians, theologians might call a meta-narrative, a big story about a big thing. Um, and so Adam and Eve find themselves in this place where they are not as free anymore because of their behavior in the Garden of Eden. And it starts and it continues from there. If you continue through particularly, you know, well, pretty much the whole Bible, uh, but if I start with the Old Testament, you will find the theme of slavery, imprisonment, and freedom keeps on coming back and back and back. Think of Joseph. Joseph gets sold into slavery by his brothers, doesn't he? They're envious of his status. They think he has more freedom than, than they do, and they say, right, we're going to get our own back, and they sell him to slave, slave traders, and off he goes to Egypt, and he's, he then works in bondage to Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife brings an accusation against him, and he then goes into prison, doesn't he? And he spends a couple of years in prison, he's overlooked, and then one day Pharaoh needs somebody to interpret dreams for him, hears about him, and he gets released from prison, and he suddenly gets elevated to number two position in the whole of the nation of Egypt. And that's a story about... Freedom, slavery, freedom, right there. Um, We then have the nation of Israel uh, being set free from another Pharaoh who oppresses them. And Moses is raised up and Moses leads them to freedom. And he goes to to, to Pharaoh who is hard-hearted and says, let my people go because they're in bondage. And there's this great, you know, these great long epic descriptions of all of the different things that the, um, the Israelites had to go through, you know, making bricks and then making bricks not allowed to get there, you know, they have to go and find their own straw and it's very, very arduous. And Moses rises up and he's the person who then leads them to freedom. Or so it would seem. And then we get into the circling round and round and round in the wilderness. Uh, I did some research on that journey, and uh, there's a parallel journey in the New Testament. That, that parallel journey is the journey of Mary and Joseph um, in the nativity stories. And most of the scholars say that that t- took about a month. So why did the people of Israel take 40 years over a month-long journey? They take it because they can't be obedient to their heavenly father. They can't be obedient to the leadership. And who knows, who of us in this room and online knows that cycling round which really flows from our own disobedience to the instruction of God, which then keeps us trapped in the place where we are. You know, that that journey in the wilderness of 40 years represents um, how people can get stuck into things that they shouldn't be stuck in because they just need to now be obedient to God. But for some reason, they find it very difficult to be obedient to God and then they get stuck. And that's a form of oppression. It's not the real freedom that Jesus came to bring us, is it? And then you have the exile of the nation of Israel. They do eventually make it into the promised land, although a whole generation dies out. You have you know, Caleb and Joshua make it. Moses himself doesn't even make it. There's a little bit of disobedience from Moses there, and Moses doesn't quite make it into the promised land. But Caleb and Joshua do, and they, they occupy the promised land. But even that has a short life, lifespan. I think it's within two or three generations of Caleb The people are subject to oppressive forces because they are not worshipping the Lord God. And the long and the short of it is that they end up in exile again. Uh, There's a, um, you know, the king of Assyria comes and carts off loads of the Israelites to Babylon and they're 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 in bondage there. But what's very interesting is that you have the person of people, well, people like Daniel who will rise up, who have great personal freedom, even though they're in captivity because they don't allow their worship to be defiled. Remember that, beginning of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, he did not allow himself to be defiled. And therefore, you know, his worship is pure. And actually, even though he's in captivity, even though he's required to learn their language, even though he's completely hemmed in by their cultures and customs, there's one area that he says, no, 
I'm going to make sure I'm only going to worship God. And it gives him a freedom from within captivity that is quite remarkable. It's a, it's a freedom that not even the emperors and the rulers that he serves have because they don't hear from God. They have to go to him to get an interpretation of the messages that they're receiving about the different kingdoms and what's going on. So who's the person who has the greatest freedom? It's Daniel because he worships God. And that's a really important message about captivity and freedom is that you can be free wherever you are if you are worshiping God, no matter the circumstances that you find yourself in. You could be literally in a prison cell, but if you're worshiping God, you're free. You're free. You could have the most awful family situation, but if you're worshiping God, you're free because you have a hotline to God. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Amen? That's a really important principle to understand, and Daniel models it so, so well. Let's jump forward to the New Testament, and we have Jesus opening his first message in the synagogue in Luke 4 with a declaration of freedom. If you listen to the words he uses, this is a, a manifesto for personal freedom. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And what a fantastic and opening, what a fantastic an opening that was for Jesus to bring in the synagogue that day. Um, and then it goes a little bit pear-shaped after that, doesn't it? Do you remember that? <laughs> They're all receiving this message with great joy at the beginning. And then he starts to turn it on them and say, you the guys that caused all the difficulties and the lack of freedom in the Old Testament. Uh, and they then kind of frog march him to the edge of a cliff and he somehow manages to escape. Uh, so they're not really in freedom alongside him uh, in that, are they quite yet? What about the guy who was stuck in the region of the Gerasenes, possessed by the enemy? In fact, possessed by multiple demons. Uh, the name of these demons was Legion. A legion had around about 2,000 Roman soldiers in it. This was a multiple, strong, demonic infestation in one single person. Jesus arrives on the, lake, uh, 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 the side of the lake, and the, the, demon has an inter, or the demons have an interaction. Jesus brushes them aside because he's the king of heaven, and that's what he does. And this man is set free. He is set free from cutting himself with stones. And can I just say to anybody that struggles with that, Jesus can set you free from that. He can set you free from that. He genuinely can. Now, that might be a bit of a journey for some of us, but he can set you free. This man is not then having to be consigned to living amongst the tombs. He's not, uh, you know, he, he was breaking iron shackles, but that's not a form of freedom. That's a form of rebellion. People were trying to contain him. He wouldn't be contained. He was a terror to everybody. He meets Jesus, and he's then completely restored and healed and dressed and in his right mind. What a fantastic picture of personal freedom right there. What an incredible episode. And this guy has huge fruitfulness over his life from God after that point. You know, he wants to go and be with Jesus and the disciples and Jesus says, no, you're a living sermon. You just need to go out and tell people what I've done for you. And he goes off into the region of the 10 cities, the Decapolis, and they're all like really bizarre out by what's happened to him. Um, and then Jesus comes back to preach there a while later and 4,000 people that this man's ministry has touched come and see who Jesus is. Who is this incredible guy that's caused this personal freedom on this massive scale for this man that we couldn't go anywhere near because he was so violent? That's personal freedom right there. 
That's just an awesome story. I love that story so much because it speaks so strongly to the personal freedom that is available in Jesus. And then we get into all sorts of other things in the New Testament, and we don't have time to unpack them all, but let me just touch on one. We have a letter from Paul, himself hugely freed from religious uh, restriction, writing to the Galatians, to the Christians in um, you know, that, that part of uh, Asia Minor, and saying to them, hey, listen, do not be restricted by your religious practices anymore. You don't need to do circumcision. You don't need to do rites and rituals. You don't need to eat, you know, abstain from certain foods. That's all Judaism. I have come and you've heard the gospel and you are set free by receiving the gospel and the Holy Spirit. And that's all that you need. And if you follow Jesus and you keep on being filled with the Spirit, that is the path to freedom. You don't need to then seal that with extra external bits and pieces that go with that which is essentially what Judaism was trying to, uh, to say. And so, the, you know, I, I'm going to say that probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest message in the Bible is freedom, both corporate freedom and individual freedom. It's a huge deal. It's enormous. It's threaded through pretty much every uh, Bible book uh, of all 66 books of the Bible. It's there as a massive theme. How can we make this a little practical, however? What characteristics can we give freedom that we can take away and go, yeah, actually, that really helps me in my situation? And um, one of the reasons I've asked our, the members of our youth, and Elizabeth did that so well for us in the second, you know, for, for this service, the second service, one of the reasons I wanted it read out was we're going to look at what it says in Genesis about freedom and about how it, um, how it works. Because we've got lots of misconceptions about freedom. You know, our culture would tell us that freedom is like, hey, I can just go off to a Greek island and be really hedonistic and do whatever I like. I'm not sure that's genuinely freedom. Yes, it's you exercising your free choice to go and do that, but is that genuine freedom? I don't know. I'm not sure it is. So let me take you through some pointers to freedom. And I'm going to go through these briefly. There's seven of them. Um, I'm not going to spend a long time on each one. And they're in your uh, version uh, notes there. If you want to point your phone to that QR code, perhaps if you're a new guest today and you don't know how we do this, if you point your phone to that, it'll take you to the version Bible app. And we've set up something called an event. We do this every week. And in there's the Bible passages and the headings and the notes. And you can add your own notes to that and you can save that for future reference. Um, and if you want to go back to it, you can. So number one, let me just take you through each of these things. I'm going to go quite fast, so keep up with me, please. Number one, freedom is in relationship with the Father. Genuine freedom in the Bible is through a relationship with the Father. It always is that. Any time that we think that we can have freedom without a relationship with the Father, we're being conned. We're being conned by our fallenness. We're being conned by the enemy. Genuine and free, uh, true, genuine true freedom comes from a relationship with our heavenly Father, and the, and that's the best kind of freedom that there is. Um, uh, let me just say, I think it's, it's Genesis two. Uh, God says uh, to Adam, "You are free to eat of the trees of the garden." He says that, doesn't he? You are free. He says a statement. You are free. And it comes from God's mouth and it goes into Adam's ears. And actually that's something that we all need to receive today, which is that God speaks over us. You are free. Now there's a bit more to the story than that and we'll unpack it. But you are essentially free through the relationship you have with your heavenly father. That's what brings freedom. You're not going to get freedom by going off in rebellion on your own. You're not going to get freedom by trying to be religious and be all dutiful. That's not going to work either. If we look at the, uh, possibly the 
most important parable in the New Testament, the parable of the prodigal son, what we find is three R's. And that's a sermon for another day. And I'll do that another day, I'm sure. But the three R's are, you've got rebellion, religion, and relationship. You can have rebellion, which is the younger son going off and, hey, I'm just going to go and do my own thing without my father. I don't need that. Well, they'll have his inheritance, thank you very much, and I'll go and do my thing with his resources that he's given me. And then he finds himself in difficulty, doesn't he? The margin runs out. The margin that the father gave him runs out, and he's got nothing left. And he then works out, "Mm, ooh, I need my dad back. Or at least I need to go and be a servant in my dad's household. And can you see the flawed thinking there? You know, how many of us would go back to our parent and be their servant? That's not right thinking. But Luke tells the story to get us to understand, have right thinking in order to, choose, in order to achieve freedom. Uh, and then we have the older brother who represents what I would call a religious response to God. Uh, a re- uh, he's religion. He's like, we do duty. We do the right thing. We're, we're good. We're, we're, you know, we're always around. We're, we're present. But, but something has dried up on the inside. Something isn't quite right with that, with that older brother. He's lost the heart of what it means to be connected with the Father. And actually, there's a distance that's growing there. Have you ever spotted that even though the younger son is miles away geographically, the older son is probably even further away spiritually? You ever noticed that? And that older son's got some real problems around freedom. You know, he doesn't, he, he, he doesn't have a proper relationship with his father. And in fact, some vile things come out of the older son's mouth that reveal the condition of his heart and how far away his heart is from his family and his father and his brother. He says some horrible things about his brother. You know, when you find yourself saying and thinking horrible things about your brother and sister in Christ, we, we've got a problem, haven't we, about how we see each other. That's not freedom. There's some kind of an oppression there. So you have the, the younger son is rebellion, the older son is religion, But what the parable teaches is that the true freedom is relationship, relationship with the father. And that's what happens in the story. What happens in the story is that the father is delighted to be reunited with his son and he won't let the son be a servant or a slave. It says Luke 15, 24 there, it says, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, because he was lost and is found. Uh, And so they began to celebrate. There's a celebration at the reunion of fathers and daughters with the heavenly father. Because that's where all the true freedom lies. So number one, freedom is in relationship with the Father. Number two, freedom in the Lord is enormous. Now why do I say that? Well, in Genesis 2.16, it says this. It says, And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free, to eat from any tree in the garden. Anyone at all. Now, it's quite difficult potentially to imagine what Eden would look like. But how I would imagine it is probably like the best sort of country park in the world and it's like it stretches for miles and it's all really gorgeous and there are literally thousands of trees there and thousands of different kinds of fruits and things to eat and it's just a gorgeous place to be you know it's like your ideal uh, Saturday day trip out with a family or uh, going and spending a a time somewhere relaxing it's just a beautiful idea and there's all this provision and availability And so God, when he announces that we have freedom, um, he is saying that there's plenty of it to have. And I just want to say to us that sometimes as Christians, we sort of say, oh, oh, I can't do that. Oh, no, I don't know what the Lord would think about that. And what I'm saying is, unless it's sin, why don't you try it out? 
Why don't you have a go? Why don't you do some things in your life? Why don't you stretch yourself into the freedom that God has given you to go and do some crazy things for God? Um, This wasn't scheduled for the notices or my message, but we're going to do a very crazy thing in October for God. It's called the Big Read. There are about 246 20-minute slots, and we're going to read the Bible from 2 p.m. on Sunday, the 22nd of October, continuously, 24-7, until Wednesday at midnight. Why? Because we have freedom. We have the freedom to do it, and I'd love to encourage you to sign up to it. Uh, sign up to a 20-minute reading slot. Come and read in, your, in your, uh, the language of your origin. I would love, you know, 100 languages to be spoken during this time. We'll put it on YouTube. That's freedom and having a go and doing something crazy for God because we can. We have freedom in the Lord. There are so many different things that we can do, but it is a great uh, feature of our fallenness that what can sometimes happen is we zero in on the one thing that we can't do. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? You know, if you, if you ever, you know, ever gone to a hotel and the, and the hotel manager says, oh, we've got, you know, we've got the gym and we've got this and we've got that, and we, you know, you can go and play snooker and all the rest of it. Um, you know, the squash court, is, you can't go in there. And straight away you're like, I want to go and play squash. You know, why is that? You know, there's this thing in our mind that the one thing we can't do we focus in on it, and the enemy's brilliant at marketing the one thing that we can't do back to us and going, oh, that's really cool. What a shame you can't do that. That's how freedom works sometimes. But I, the converse of that is that the freedom that there is available in the Lord is enormous. We have huge freedoms from God. Number three, alongside the huge freedoms from God, freedoms from God there are boundaries. There are Freedom doesn't mean no boundaries. Freedom means that there are boundaries that keep us free. Uh, if you imagine a, tr- a train on some train tracks, its boundaries are the rails. The minute it decides to depart from the rails, we have a crash, don't we? The train is designed to run on rails. Spir- a human being, spiritually speaking, are designed to run on a relationship with the Father. And the minute they decide they're going to do something else, that's when the crashes start happening. Isn't that true? It's so true, isn't it? Freedom has boundaries. It says this, Genesis 2, 17, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for on the day you eat from it, you will certainly die. That's just the one prohibition that God puts in there. And the reason he puts it in there is because he wants Adam and Eve to go to him for the knowledge of good and evil and not go and find it for themselves. One of our great tragedies in life, in human life, is that we go and find out stuff by being disobedient that we really wish we never knew. I bet there's a few people in the room today who've got knowledge in their heads that they wish they didn't have. And they got it by being disobedient. And I'll just own up and say, I include myself in that. There are some things that I really wish I never knew. And if, if I'd been obedient to God, then I wouldn't know them. And what the tree of knowledge of good and evil represents is the human effort to go and find that knowledge without God. And what God's saying is, hey, don't go there, come to me. And I'll tell you what you need to know. Trust me. This is an issue of trust. So freedom has boundaries. There will always be some things around uh, around freedom in which there are healthy boundaries for us to observe. Number four... Uh, the biggest freedoms are achieved in community. And this is a very well-known idea, but what we see is God saying to Adam, it's not right for you to be on your own. You need a helper, and he forms Eve. And by extension, we have community out of that, don't we? And some of the great freedoms of life 
are through the communities that we enjoy. When I was seven years old, I, uh, it, back, back in the days when Zimbabwe was still called Rhodesia, I guess I would have been about, this would have been about 1974, 1975. I was in a playground. Uh, it's now called Harare. It was called Salisbury back then. I was in a playground and I fell over and I bumped my head. Uh, it was one of these contraptions where you ride on it and you hold the handle, and I kind of lost my balance and I slipped. And I bumped my head, and in certain kinds of light, you can see a small scar here where I, where I bashed my head. Don't see it all the time, but sometimes you can. And um, we got kind of taken into hospital. It was one of those ones where for a split second, everything seemed fine, and then suddenly the entire front of me was covered in blood. I mean, it was just like really horrific. My aunt was taking me out for the day, and she was like, ah! You know, I've, I've cut you. I know what we're going to do. So she was like really panicked. And they got a taxi to the, the, the hospital. And then the nurse there stitched me up. Uh, and she did little neat stitches. This was back in the day when you did stitches. I think today it's like white tape, isn't it? And it's a bit neater and it bonds it together well. So I've now got a scar, whereas perhaps the white tape, I wouldn't have had a scar. But, you know, technology moves on, doesn't it? But that lady, that lady who uh, sorted me out, she used her skill and the, the, the calling on, I don't know whether she was a believer or not, but she had a calling on her life to be a nurse. That community mended me. That's a very simple example, but we all enjoy the benefits of being in great community where community is filled with people who do all sorts of things that allow us to live our lives. You know, we can go to Morrison's and the, and the Morrison's staff will help us by stocking all the shelves. Uh, you know, we can go to the hospital. We can go and uh, apply for a job. We can uh, enjoy music, a concert. We can come to church. And, and a, so many of these things are wonderful freedoms that occur because of community, because we're all together. There's great power in community. Uh, and what I want to say is that the biggest freedoms are achieved in community. Now, I don't minimize those who need to go off to a desert island and then seek God. You know, there's definitely a, p- a place for the monastic and the, and, the, and the people who want to go and seek God in isolation. And I, I, I think some of those people are very, very godly. But for you and I and for most ordinary people, real freedom is achieved in community. It's not achieved in isolation. We have to work it out together. Uh, and, and that picture of, of Eve being created alongside Adam is a picture of that. Uh, 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 of that. Uh, number five, freedom requires both ownership and responsibility. And what we see as the disobedience creeps into the, into the, uh, you know, the Garden of Eden story is we start to see the blame being assigned and no ownership being taken. Um, uh, so God kind of says to Adam, like, so what went on here? And Adam says, verse 12 there, Genesis 3, verse 12, the man replied, the woman you gave to be with me, um, like he doesn't even say my wife, he says the woman you gave to be with me. I mean, he's disowning her. There's a little bit of the prodigal son, older brother popping out there, isn't there? The woman you gave to be with me, uh, gave to be with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate. Blame is going on here. Now, can I just put it to you that where was Adam when Eve needed him to be there? You know, I'm not having a go at men, but that would have been awfully helpful if there'd been a bit of presence ministry from the man under the tree at the point where she was considering having a, having a little nibble of the fruit. That wasn't happening. So he wasn't really taking his responsibilities that seriously to look after her either. This was a joint crime. Can I just say that? You know, Eve gets bad press about this, but I'm saying Adam gets, needs just as much bad press. This was a joint fail. Um, and so freedom from that picture it tells me that it requires some ownership and responsibility and some piping up sometimes to cover one another. And some, hey, you're in this with me. 
you're not that woman, you're my wife. You know, pro, uh, pro, prodigal, prodigal, you know, parable of the prodigal son, older brother should not be saying, that son of yours. That's disownership, isn't it? That's full behavior right there. That's not great. Freedom requires some ownership, connection, and responsibility for it to work properly. Number six, true freedom is only possible when truth is present. I think this is really key. One of the things that happens in the, in the Garden of Eden story is that Eve is deceived and then also Adam. They're deceived. Uh, they're deceived by mistruth from the enemy. Uh, freedom has truth right next to it all the time. You cannot have proper freedom unless you have truthfulness alongside it. How can you? Because truthfulness points to, gives you clarity and objectivity, doesn't it? If you're not objective and open about things or truthful, you're not in a position to make good decisions, you're not informed, you can't have wisdom. And we see this in some of our oppressive societies around the world, don't we? Uh, we see it in uh, you know, dictatorships where they clamp down on truth and you don't get openness and honesty and therefore freedom is curtailed. Right now, if you went into Beijing in China and you jumped on YouTube and you searched for uh, Tiananmen Square 1989, you're not going to get any hits. Why is that? It's that? That's because the Chinese authorities have edited that out of their history because they don't want the inconvenience of looking at the fact that they're not a democracy and they're still not. But if you search for that here, you will find material that shows those iconic images of that guy standing with his shopping bags in front of a line of tanks. That's freedom right there. That's a bid for freedom right there. And that nation has got a long way to go to get to that point of having the kind of freedoms that we enjoy now. True freedom is only possible when truth is present. And that's why we need to guard against deception and dishonesty and lies. Number seven and lastly, what we see in the Garden of Eden is reversed by Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I don't know if you've ever seen the parallels between those two gardens, but in the Garden, Garden of Eden, sorry, in the Garden of Eden, there was a disobedience that led to a fall. In the Garden of Gethsemane, there was an obedience that led to a rising up. Jesus comes to restore what was undone in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, sorry, the Garden of Eden, by his obedience in going to the cross, which was decided in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes and redeems what was lost in the Garden of Eden by Adam and Eve's disobedience through his obedience. And very interestingly, he is prepared to do a sacrifice in order to achieve it, a little bit like Henry Brown was prepared to do a sacrifice on his body in order to achieve his freedom. There's a sacrifice that goes on sometimes to achieve freedom. You and, you and I enjoy freedoms in this room and online because of the sacrifices of others that may have cost them. Did you know that it cost to turn the Bible into English? There was a time in our history where that was considered really evil that you had the Bible in your own language. There was only about two languages they allowed it in. And there were martyrs in the Christian faith who said, no, I want the Bible to be translated and available in your language. And they paid for it with their lives. Some people got burned at the stake in order for you to have the Bible in your translation. Now, you enjoy that freedom right now, but boy, it came with a price. 
Now, what I'm saying is I think that sometimes freedom comes with a price, but Jesus comes to restore freedom, and he's willing to pay that price. And that is why we worship him. And actually, in that letter that Paul writes to the Galatians to counsel them against religious slavery, he says this amazing statement, Galatians 5.1, for it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't submit again to a yoke of slavery. I'm going to ask our worship team just to come and join us. Thank you so much, Sheila. Should we just give our worship team a round of applause? They do a great job, don't they? Thank you so much. Well done. I'm going to ask them to come and they're going to start to play in the background. And we're going to go into our three-part response to the big idea. Do you remember when I opened the series, I said that Kevin, in our discussions, had come up with a great pattern uh, for responding to some of these big ideas. And the pattern goes like this. It's the start, the step, and the stretch. That's a really nice pattern. I really like that. Uh, And I said to him, I'm just going to have that. Do you mind? And he said, no, go right ahead. So the start for today's message in embracing our freedom would be, are there any negative patterns that we are struggling with still? And I'm sure all of us have varying degrees of negative patterns that are going on. You know, is there, is there a pattern of, I don't know, let's just pick out some things. Is there a pattern of gossip? Is there a pattern of overeating? Is there a pattern of watching the wrong things late at night? Is there a pattern of you're kind of tempted by finance and you're just pursuing that a little bit hard and money's got a bit of a hold on you? What is the pattern that you might be wrestling with right now in this season of your life? And the step would be, sorry, the start, sorry, would be identify that pattern. Identify it honestly. Say, yeah, that is me. Don't do an Adam and go, well, she made me do it. Don't do that. Go, well, no, it's me. This is my issue. I need to own that issue. So that would be the start. Are there any negative patterns? The step would be, what is the biblical truth that speaks to those patterns? You see, Jesus models that to us so, so well, doesn't he? When the devil comes to him in the desert, the devil says, oh, blah, 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 all this stuff. And Jesus goes, no, it is written. He deals with the devil by saying, what is written in the word? And so your step is going to be finding what is written in the word that absolutely nukes your negative pattern, completely blats it, makes it go away, defeats it completely from a scriptural point of view. So if you're one of those people that maybe struggles with looking at the wrong stuff on the TV or the internet late at night, Psalm 51 verse 10, great memory verse for you to learn. Yeah, uh, you know, um, oh, I can't, it's completely escaped me right now. Um, <laughs> I used to know that off by heart, so really sorry. Psalm 51 verse 10 says something like, um, create in me, yeah, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. There we go, thank you. Thank you for those of you who were trying to help me out there. The create in me a pure heart is a scriptural mandate that speaks over impurity, isn't it? That would be the step. And then the stretch might be, hey, I'm going to just put it out there. Freedom in Christ starts on Thursday. You know, I've been a bit strategic in my pastoring of you in this season. If you want to embrace freedom and really go on that journey and you know that you need that, we're running Freedom in Christ in the building and we're running it online. And that's a course that is designed to help you with your freedom, to help you specifically assess and then get the scriptural truth against those patterns that you struggle with. Freedom in Christ is an awesome course. Can I just put it out there? Let's all stand. And uh, our worship team are going to lead us in some worship right now. And uh, then we'll come back and respond. Thank you, team. Thank you so much.
things that the enemy will try to persuade you around the area of freedom is that there are certain things that are unsolvable. That's what he'll try and tell you. He'll try and say, no, you're never ever going to resolve that. And I think that's a lie from the enemy. And uh, to, to give you an illustration, freedom is a little bit like being given a Rubik's Cube, but you've got no idea how to do it. But there, is, there are people who've solved them. And there is a Lord in heaven who has all wisdom available to him. And if you go to those people, or if you go to the Lord, or both together, you will find the way forward to solve the, the issue of the freedom that you, with which you struggle. And I just feel prompted to remind some people here that the issue of freedom that you might have struggled with for a long time is not unsolvable. In other words, it can be solved. It, you can reach the freedom that God has in mind for you in Christ. He absolutely can help you with that. Now, I don't minimize or try and reduce the, the depth of the struggle that you have gone through, or maybe some of the injustice that has, injustices that have happened to you to put you in that place and in that mindset. But Jesus is bigger than those things. God has more wisdom than you think he does. Let me pray over you, BCC, today. And I'm going to ask if anyone that wants individual prayer, please come forward. Our prayer team would be delighted to pray over you. But let me pray into that for just a moment off of the back of our message on freedom. Lord God, I pray for freedom in this house. I pray particularly for those minds and hearts and emotions that have been stuck a very long time in one particular area. I pray that you would bring solutions, Lord Jesus, through your glorious freedom. Lord God, we sang that you are glorious, and one of the reasons you are glorious is you bring us freedom. And I pray for your freedom upon us today, both in the house and also online. Would you bring us your great freedom, particularly to those areas with which we've struggled for a long time, maybe? I speak freedom upon you, BCC, today. In the name of Jesus, be free. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen. Thank you, BCC.